Question 27 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Charity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Charity by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 27 of the principal act of charity, which is to love, in eight articles. We must now consider the act of charity, and one, the principal act of charity, which is to love, two, the other acts or effects which follow from that act. Under the first head, there are eight points of inquiry. First, which is the more proper to charity, to love or to be loved? Second, whether to love considered as an act of charity is the same as goodwill. Third, whether God should be loved for his own sake. Fourth, whether God can be loved immediately in this life. Fifth, whether God can be loved wholly. Sixth, whether the love of God is according to measure. Seventh, which is the better, to love one's friend or one's enemy? Eighth, which is the better, to love God or one's neighbor? First article whether to be loved is more proper to charity than to love. Objection 1. It would seem that it is more proper to charity to be loved than to love. For the better charity is to be found in those who are themselves better. But those who are better should be more loved. Therefore, to be loved is more proper to charity. Objection to. Further, that which is to be found in more subjects seems to be more in keeping with nature, and for that reason better. Now, as the philosopher says in Ethics 8.8, many would rather be loved than love, and lovers of flattery always abound. Therefore, it is better to be loved than to love, and consequently, it is more in keeping with charity. Objection 3. Further, the cause of anything being such is yet more so. Now men love because they are loved, for Augustine says in On the Catechizing of the Instructed for that nothing incites another more to love you than that you love him first. Therefore, charity consists in being loved rather than in loving. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 8.8 that friendship consists in loving rather than being loved. Now charity is a kind of friendship. Therefore, it consists in loving rather than in being loved. I answer that to love belongs to charity 
as charity. For since charity is a virtue, by its very essence it has an inclination to its proper act. Now to be loved is not the act of charity of the person loved, for this act is to love, and to be loved is competent to him as coming under the common notion of good, in so far as another tends towards his good by an act of charity. Hence it is clear that to love is more proper to charity than to be loved, for that which befits a thing by reason of itself and its essence is more competent to it than that which is befitting to it by reason of something else. This can be exemplified in two ways. First, in the fact that friends are more commended for loving than for being loved, indeed, if they be loved and yet love not, they are blamed. Secondly, because a mother, whose love is the greatest, seeks rather to love than to be loved. For some women, as the philosopher observes in Ethics 8.8, entrust their children to a nurse. They do love them indeed, yet seek not to be loved in return, if they happen not to be loved. Reply to Objection 1. A better man, through being better, is more lovable, but through having more perfect charity loves more. He loves more, however, in proportion to the person he loves. For a better man does not love that which is beneath him less than it ought to be loved, whereas he who is less good fails to love one who is better, as much as he ought to be loved. Reply to Objection 2. As the philosopher says in Ethics 8.8, Men wish to be loved inasmuch as they wish to be honored. For just as honor is bestowed on a man in order to bear witness to the good which is in him. So by being loved a man is shown to have some good, since good alone is lovable. Accordingly, men seek to be loved and to be honored for the sake of something else, notably, to make known the good which is in the person loved. On the other hand, those who have charity seek to love for the sake of loving, as though this were itself the good of charity, even as the act of any virtue is that virtue's good. Hence, it is more proper to charity to wish to love than to wish to be loved. Reply to Objection 3. Some love on account of being loved, not so that to be loved is the end of their loving, but because it is a kind of way of leading a man to love. Second article, whether to love considered as an act of charity is the same as goodwill. Objection 1. It would seem that to love, considered as an act of charity, is nothing else than goodwill. For the philosopher says in Rhetoric 2.4 that to love is to wish a person well, and this is goodwill. Therefore, the act of charity is nothing but goodwill. Objection to, further, the act belongs to the same subject as the habit. 
Now the habit of charity is in the power of the will, as stated above in question 24, article 1. Therefore, the act of charity is also an act of the will. But it tends to good only, and this is goodwill. Therefore, the act of charity is nothing else than goodwill. Objection 3. Further, the philosopher reckons five things pertaining to friendship, according to Ethics 9.4, the first of which is that a man should wish his friend well, the second, that he should wish him to be and to live, the third, that he should take pleasure in his company, the fourth, that he should make choice of the same things, the fifth, that he should grieve and rejoice with him. Now the first two pertain to goodwill. Therefore, goodwill is the first act of charity. On the contrary, the philosopher says in Ethics 9.5 that goodwill is neither friendship nor love, but the beginning of friendship. Now charity is friendship, as stated above in question 23, article 1. Therefore, goodwill is not the same as to love considered as an act of charity. I answer that, goodwill, properly speaking, is that act of the will whereby we wish well to another. Now this act of the will differs from actual love considered not only as being in the sensitive appetite, but also as being in the intellective appetite or will. For the love which is in the sensitive appetite is a passion. Now every passion seeks its object with a certain eagerness. And the passion of love is not aroused suddenly, but is born of an earnest consideration of the object loved. Wherefore the philosopher, showing the difference between goodwill and the love which is a passion, says in Ethics 9.5, that goodwill does not imply impetuosity or desire, that is to say, has not an eager inclination, because it is by the sole judgment of his reason that one man wishes another well. Again, such like love arises from previous acquaintance, whereas goodwill sometimes arises suddenly, as happens to us if we look on at a boxing match and we wish one of the boxers to win. But the love, which is in the intellective appetite, also differs from goodwill because it denotes a certain union of affections between the lover and the beloved, inasmuch as the lover deems the beloved as somewhat united to him, or belonging to him, and so tends towards him. On the other hand, goodwill is a simple act of the will, whereby we wish a person well even without presupposing the aforesaid union of the affections with him. Accordingly, to love, considered as an act of charity, includes goodwill, but such delection or love adds union of affections, wherefore the philosopher says in Ethics 9.5 that goodwill is a beginning of friendship. Reply to Objection 1. The philosopher, by thus defining to love, 
does not describe it fully but mentions only that part of its definition in which the act of love is chiefly manifested reply to objection to to love is indeed an act of the will tending to the good but it adds a certain union with the beloved which union is not denoted by goodwill reply to objection three these things mentioned by the philosopher belong to friendship because they arise from a man's love for himself as he says in the same passage in so far as a man does all these things in respect of his friend even as he does them to himself and this belongs to the aforesaid union of the affections third article whether out of charity god ought to be loved for himself objection one it would seem that god is loved out of charity not for himself but for the sake of something else for gregory says in a homily his homily eleven on the gospels the soul learns from the things it knows to love those it knows not whereby the things unknown he means the intelligible and the divine and by things known he indicates the objects of the senses therefore god is to be loved for the sake of something else objection to further love follows knowledge but god is known through something else according to romans one twenty the invisible things of god are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made therefore he is also loved on account of something else and not for himself objection three further hope begets charity as a gloss says on matthew one one and fear leads to charity according to augustine in his commentary on the first canonical epistle of john now hope looks forward to obtain something from god while fear shuns something which can be inflicted by god therefore it seems that god is to be loved on account of some good we hope for or some evil to be feared therefore he is not to be loved for himself on the contrary according to augustine in on christian doctrine one to enjoy is to cleave to something for its own sake now god is to be enjoyed as he says in the same book therefore god is to be loved for himself i answer that the preposition for denotes a relation of causality now there are four kinds of cause notably final formal efficient and material to which a material disposition also is to be reduced though it is not a cause simply but relatively according to these four different causes one thing is said to be loved for another in respect of the final cause we love medicine for instance for health in respect of the formal cause we love a man for his virtue because to wit by his virtue he is formally good and therefore lovable in respect of the efficient cause 
we love certain men because, for instance, they are the sons of such and such a father. And in respect of the disposition which is reducible to the genus of a material cause, we speak of loving something for that which disposed us to love it. For example, we love a man for the favors received from him, although after we have begun to love our friend, we no longer love him for his favors, but for his virtue. Accordingly, as regards the first three ways, we love God not for anything else, but for himself. For he is not directed to anything else as to an end, but is himself the last end of all things. Nor does he require to receive any form in order to be good, for he is the very substance of goodness, which is itself the exemplar of all other good things. Nor again does goodness accrue to him from aught else, but from him to all other things. In the fourth way, however, he can be loved for something else, because we are disposed by certain things to advance in his love, for instance, by favors bestowed by him, by the rewards we hope to receive from him, or even by the punishments which we are minded to avoid through him. Reply to Objection 1. From the things it knows, the soul learns to love what it knows not, not as though the things it knows were the reason for its loving things it knows not, through being the formal, final, or efficient cause of this love, but because this knowledge disposes man to love the unknown. Reply to Objection 2. Knowledge of God is indeed acquired through other things, but after he is known, he is no longer known through them, but through himself, according to John 4.42. We now believe not for thy saying, for we ourselves have heard him, and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Reply to Objection 3. Hope and fear lead to charity by way of a certain disposition, as was shown above in question 17, article 8, and in question 19, articles 4, 7, and 10. Fourth article. Whether God can be loved immediately in this life. Objection 1. It would seem that God cannot be loved immediately in this life. For the unknown cannot be loved, as Augustine says in On the Trinity 10.1. Now we do not know God immediately in this life, since we see now through a glass in a dark manner, according to 1 Corinthians 13.12. Neither, therefore, do we love him immediately. Objection to Further, he who cannot do what is less cannot do what is more. Now, it is more to love God than to know him, since he who is joined to God by love is one spirit with him, according to 1 Corinthians 6.17. But man cannot know God immediately. Therefore, much less can he love him immediately. Objection 3. Further, man is severed from God by sin according to Isaiah 
your iniquities have divided between you and your God. Now sin is in the will rather than in the intellect. Therefore, man is less able to love God immediately than to know him immediately. On the contrary, knowledge of God, through being mediate, is said to be enigmatic and falls away in heaven, as stated in 1 Corinthians 13.12. But charity does not fall away, as stated in the same passage. Therefore, the charity of the way adheres to God immediately. I answer that, as stated above in the Pars Prima, question 82, article 3, question 84, article 7, the act of a cognitive power is completed by the thing known being in the knower, whereas the act of an appetitive power consists in the appetite being inclined towards the thing in itself. Hence it follows that the movement of the appetitive power is towards things in respect of their own condition, whereas the act of a cognitive power follows the mode of the knower. Now in itself the very order of things is such that God is knowable and lovable for himself, since he is essentially truth and goodness itself, whereby other things are known and loved. But with regard to us, since our knowledge is derived through the senses, those things are knowable first which are nearer to our senses, and the last term of knowledge is that which is most remote from our senses. Accordingly, we must assert that to love, which is an act of the appetitive power, even in this state of life, tends to God first, and flows on from him to other things, and in this sense charity loves God immediately, and other things through God. On the other hand, with regard to knowledge, it is the reverse. Since we know God through other things, either as a cause through its effects, or by way of preeminence or negation, as Dionysius states in On the Divine Names 1. Confer also the Pars Prima, question 12, article 12. Reply to Objection 1. Although the unknown cannot be loved, it does not follow that the order of knowledge is the same as the order of love. Since love is the term of knowledge, and consequently, love can begin at once where knowledge ends, namely, in the thing itself which is known through another thing. Reply to Objection 2. Since to love God is something greater than to know Him, especially in this state of life, it follows that love of God presupposes knowledge of God. And because this knowledge does not rest in creatures but through them, tends to something else, love begins there and thence goes on to other things by a circular movement, so to speak. For knowledge begins from creatures, tends to God, and love begins with God as the last end and passes on to creatures. Reply to Objection 3. Aversion from God, which is brought about by sin, is removed by charity, 
but not by knowledge alone. Hence charity, by loving God, unites the soul immediately to him with a chain of spiritual union. Fifth article, whether God can be loved wholly. Objection 1. It would seem that God cannot be loved wholly. For love follows knowledge. Now God cannot be wholly known by us, since this would imply comprehension of him. Therefore, he cannot be wholly loved by us. Objection 2. Further, love is a kind of union, as Dionysius shows in On the Divine Names 4. But the heart of man cannot be wholly united to God, because God is greater than our heart, according to 1 John 3.20. Therefore, God cannot be loved wholly. Objection 3. Further, God loves himself wholly. If, therefore, he be loved wholly by another, this one will love him as much as God loves himself. But this is unreasonable. Therefore, God cannot be wholly loved by a creature. On the contrary, it is written in Deuteronomy 6.5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart. I answer that, since love may be considered as something between lover and beloved, when we ask whether God can be wholly loved, the question may be understood in three ways. First, so that the qualification, holy, be referred to the thing loved, and thus God is to be loved wholly, since man should love all that pertains to God. Secondly, it may be understood as though holy qualified the lover. And thus again, God ought to be loved wholly, since man ought to love God with all his might, and to refer all he has to the love of God, according to Deuteronomy 6.5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart. Thirdly, it may be understood by way of comparison of the lover to the thing loved, so that the mode of the lover equal the mode of the thing loved. This is impossible, for since a thing is lovable in proportion to its goodness, God is infinitely lovable, since his goodness is infinite. Now no creature can love God infinitely, because all power of creatures, whether it be natural or infused, is finite. This suffices for the replies to the objections, because the first three objections consider the question in this third sense, while the last takes it in the second sense. Sixth article, whether in loving God we ought to observe any mode. Objection 1. It would seem that we ought to observe some mode in loving God, for the notion of good consists in mode, species, and order, as Augustine states in On the Nature of Good 3 and 4. Now the love of God is the best thing in man, according to Colossians 3.14. Above all things have charity, 
Therefore, there ought to be a mode of the love of God. Objection to further, Augustine says in On the Catholic and the Manichaean Ways of Life, 8, Prithee, tell me which is the mode of love, for I fear lest I burn with the desire and love of my Lord more or less than I ought. But it would be useless to seek the mode of the divine love unless there were one. Therefore, there is a mode of the love of God. Objection 3. Further, as Augustine says in On the Literal Meaning of Genesis 4.3, The measure which nature appoints to a thing is its mode. Now the measure of the human will, as also of external action, is the reason. Therefore, just as it is necessary for the reason to appoint a mode to the exterior effect of charity, according to Romans 12.1, your reasonable service, so also the interior love of God requires a mode. On the contrary, Bernard says in On Loving God 1 that God is the cause of our loving God. The measure is to love him without measure. I answer that, as appears from the words of Augustine quoted above in Objection 3, mode signifies a determination of measure, which determination is to be found both in the measure and in the thing measured, but not in the same way. For it is found in the measure essentially, because a measure is of itself the determining and modifying rule of other things whereas in the things measured it is found relatively, that is, in so far as they attain to the measure. Hence, there can be nothing unmodified in the measure, whereas the thing measured is unmodified if it fails to attain to the measure, whether by deficiency or by excess. Now in all matters of appetite and action, the measure is the end, because the proper reason for all that we desire or do should be taken from the end, as the philosopher proves in Physics 2.9. Therefore, the end has a mode by itself, while the means take their mode from being proportionate to the end. Hence, according to the philosopher in Politics 1.3, in every art the desire for the end is endless and unlimited, whereas there is a limit to the means. Thus, the physician does not put limits to health, but makes it as perfect as he possibly can. But he puts a limit to medicine, for he does not give as much medicine as he can, but according as health demands, so that if he give too much or too little, the medicine would be immoderate. Again, the end of all human actions and affections is the love of God, whereby principally we attain to our last end, as stated above in question 23, article 6. Wherefore, the mode in the love of God must not be taken as in a thing measured where we find too much or too little, but as in the measure itself, 
where there cannot be excess and where the more the rule is attained the better it is so that the more we love god the better our love is reply to objection one that which is so by its essence takes precedence of that which is so through another wherefore the goodness of the measure which has the mode essentially takes precedence of the goodness of the thing measured which has its mode through something else and so too charity which has a mode as a measure has stands before the other virtues which have a mode through being measured reply to objection to as augustine adds in the same passage the measure of our love for god is to love him with our whole heart that is to love him as much as he can be loved and this belongs to the mode which is proper to the measure reply to objection three an affection whose object is subject to reason's judgment should be measured by reason but the object of the divine love which is god surpasses the judgment of reason wherefore it is not measured by reason but transcends it nor is there parity between the interior act and external acts of charity for the interior act of charity has the character of an end since man's ultimate good consists in his soul cleaving to god according to psalm seventy two twenty eight it is good for me to adhere to my god whereas the exterior acts are as means to the end and so have to be measured both according to charity and according to reason seventh article whether it is more meritorious to love an enemy than to love a friend objection one it would seem more meritorious to love an enemy than to love a friend for it is written in matthew five forty six if you love them that love you what reward shall you have therefore it is not deserving of reward to love one's friend whereas as the same passage proves to love one's enemy is deserving of a reward therefore it is more meritorious to love one's enemy than to love one's friend objection to further an act is the more meritorious through proceeding from a greater charity but it belongs to the perfect children of god to love their enemies whereas those also who have imperfect charity love their friends therefore it is more meritorious to love one's enemy than to love one's friends objection three further where there is more effort for good there seems to be more merit since every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor first corinthians three eight now a man has to make a greater effort to love his enemy than to love his friend because it is more difficult therefore it seems more meritorious to love one's enemy than to love one's friend on the contrary 
the better an action is, the more meritorious it is. Now it is better to love one's friend, since it is better to love a better man, and the friend who loves you is better than the enemy who hates you. Therefore, it is more meritorious to love one's friend than to love one's enemy. I answer that. God is the reason for our loving our neighbor out of charity, as stated above, in question 25, article 1. When, therefore, it is asked, which is better or more meritorious, to love one's friend or one's enemy, these two loves may be compared in two ways. First, on the part of our neighbor whom we love. Secondly, on the part of the reason for which we love him. In the first way, love of one's friend surpasses love of one's enemy, because a friend is both better and more closely united to us, so that he is a more suitable matter of love, and consequently, the act of love that passes over this matter is better, and therefore its opposite is worse, for it is worse to hate a friend than an enemy. In the second way, however, it is better to love one's enemy than one's friend, and this for two reasons. First, because it is possible to love one's friend for another reason than God, whereas God is the only reason for loving one's enemy. Secondly, because if we suppose that both are loved for God, our love for God is proved to be all the stronger through carrying a man's affections to things which are furthest from him, namely, to the love of his enemies, even as the power of a furnace is proved to be the stronger, according as it throws its heat to more distant objects. Hence, our love for God is proved to be so much the stronger, as the more difficult are the things we accomplish for its sake, just as the power of fire is so much the stronger, as it is able to set fire to a less inflammable matter. Yet just as the same fire acts with greater force on what is near than on what is distant, so too charity loves with greater fervor those who are united to us than those who are far removed. And in this respect the love of friends, considered in itself, is more ardent and better than the love of one's enemy. Reply to Objection 1. The words of our Lord must be taken in their strict sense, because the love of one's friends is not meritorious in God's sight when we love them merely because they are our friends. And this would seem to be the case when we love our friends in such a way that we love not our enemies. On the other hand, the love of our friends is meritorious if we love them for God's sake, and not merely because they are our friends. The reply to the other objections is evident from what has been said in the article, because the two arguments that follow consider the reason for loving, while the last considers the question on the part of those who are loved. Eighth Article 
whether it is more meritorious to love one's neighbor than to love God. Objection 1. It would seem that it is more meritorious to love one's neighbor than to love God. For the more meritorious thing would seem to be what the apostle preferred. Now the apostle preferred the love of our neighbor to the love of God, according to Romans 9.3. I wished myself to be an anathema from Christ for my brethren. Therefore, it is more meritorious to love one's neighbor than to love God. Objection to further. In a certain sense, it seems to be less meritorious to love one's friend, as stated above in Article 7. Now God is our chief friend, since he hath first loved us, according to 1 John 4.10. Therefore, it seems less meritorious to love God. Objection 3. Further, whatever is more difficult seems to be the more virtuous and meritorious, since virtue is about that which is difficult and good, according to Ethics 2.3. Now, it is easier to love God than to love one's neighbor, both because all things love God naturally and because there is nothing unlovable in God, and this cannot be said of one's neighbor. Therefore, it is more meritorious to love one's neighbor than to love God. On the contrary, that on account of which a thing is such is yet more so. Now the love of one's neighbor is not meritorious, except by reason of his being loved for God's sake. Therefore, the love of God is more meritorious than the love of our neighbor. I answer that this comparison may be taken in two ways. First, by considering both loves separately and then, without doubt, the love of God is the more meritorious, because a reward is due to it for its own sake, since the ultimate reward is the enjoyment of God to whom the movement of the divine love tends. Hence, a reward is promised to him that loves God, according to John 14.21. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will manifest myself to him. Secondly, the comparison may be understood to be between the love of God alone on the one side and the love of one's neighbor for God's sake on the other. In this way, love of our neighbor includes love of God, while love of God does not include love of our neighbor. Hence the comparison will be between perfect love of God, extending also to our neighbor, and inadequate and imperfect love of God, for this commandment we have from God, that he who loveth God love also his brother. 1 John 4.21 Reply to Objection 1 According to one gloss, the Apostle did not desire this, notably, to be severed from Christ for his brethren, when he was in a state of grace but had formerly desired it when he was in a state of unbelief, so that we should not imitate him in this respect. We may also reply with Chrysostom, 
in On Compunction 1.8, that this does not prove the apostle to have loved his neighbor more than God, but that he loved God more than himself. For he wished to be deprived for a time of the divine fruition which pertains to love of oneself, in order that God might be honored in his neighbor, which pertains to the love of God. Reply to Objection 2. A man's love for his friends is sometimes less meritorious in so far as he loves them for their sake, so as to fall short of the true reason for the friendship of charity, which is God. Hence, that God be loved for his own sake does not diminish the merit, but is the entire reason for merit. Reply to Objection 3. The good has, more than the difficult, to do with the reason of merit and virtue. Therefore it does not follow that whatever is more difficult is more meritorious, but only what is more difficult and at the same time better. End of question 27. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.